you never read Pilgrim's Progress, I would persuade you in the strongest of terms to take the time to read the book. It's the second best-selling book in history, right behind the Bible. And it's a wonderful book. You'll have to get used to his style of writing, but if you don't like uh, that ancient English writing, you can buy a modern English version. But towards the end of the, the book, when faithful and Christian are trying to cross the river to get to the celestial city, uh, faithful goes first and Christian begins to flounder a little bit in the waters. And faithful looks back and, and says to Christian, take courage, my brother, said, I've found the bottom. And it's sure, he said, you can walk on the cross. Christians die in victory. You say, well, Pastor, I've known some Christians die horrendous deaths. Way to the resurrection. I think God allows some bad things like that to happen so he can show off his majesty and his power in the resurrection. Their bodies uh, racked by disease or other types of things that might have happened, accidents. And the last time we saw them, maybe it didn't look so good. Well, you wait till the next time we see them. We'll be hard to hold. Some of y'all that have never said amen in church service in your life are going to come unglued. I'm going to stand on the sidelines and wave at you. So I told you so. Acts chapter number 4. Let me get preaching or I'll just reminisce like an old man about going to heaven. Acts chapter 4. And as they spake unto the people, the priest and the captains of the temple and the the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection of the dead. And they laid hands on them and put them in hold unto the next day, for it was now eventide. Howbeit, many of them which heard the word believed, and the number of the men was about 5,000. On the day of Pentecost, you have 3,000 conversions. On this sermon is preached, you have 5,000. Made a mega church overnight. And it came to pass on the morrow that their rulers and elders and scribes and Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and as many as were of the kindred of the high priest were gathered together at Jerusalem. And when they had set them in the midst, they asked them, they asked, by what power or by what name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Ghost said unto them, Ye rulers of the people and elders of Israel, if we this day be examined of the good deed done to the impotent man, by what means he's made whole, be it known unto you all and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom ye crucified, whom God raised from the dead, even by him doth this man stand here before you whole. This is the stone which was set at naught of you builders, which has become the head of the, of the hole, excuse me, head of the corner. Neither is there salvation in any other, for there is none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled. And they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Father, I pray you'd add your blessing to the reading of the Word of God. 
Thank you so much for the privilege of worshiping tonight. As we ponder and think over how beautiful heaven really must be. Father, some of us, our hearts yearn upon our loved ones who have passed away. Death seems so sudden and so final and so cold. But thank you, Lord, that you've been on both sides of the curtain of death, and it'll be all right. Thank you, Lord, that thou hast been alive, has been dead, and is alive forevermore. That we can trust you, Father, know with certainty that what you tell us is true. Lord, would we pry our minds away for just a little while from the distractions of this world, from the ball games, the activities, the parties, the different things that are going on this time of year. And just let us focus in on the Word of God for just a little while. Speak, I pray, precious Spirit of God. Give us ears and hearts to hear what you might want to say. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. The Bible speaks of the, the influence of our friends on us. Hold your place here. We're coming back, I promise. I'm going to preach through this section of Scripture. But look in Psalm 1, or just jot it down if you'd like to and look it up later on. I don't mind you checking me out to make sure I'm reading the Bible properly. Psalm 1 and verse 1, Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. Uh, look with me in the book of Proverbs, chapter number 1. Proverbs, chapter number 1. The book of Proverbs has a lot to say to young people, by the way. Proverbs, chapter 1, verse 10. My son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. If they say, come with us, let us lay wait for blood. Let us lurk privately for the innocent without cause. Let us swallow them up alive as the grave and whole as those that go down into the pit. We shall find all precious substance. We shall fill our houses with spoil. Cast in thy lot among us. Let us all have one purse. My son, walk not thou in the way with them. Refrain thy foot from their path, for their feet run to evil and make haste to shed blood. Surely in, in vain the net is spread in the sight of any bird. And they lay wait for their own blood. They look privately for their own lives. So are the ways of everyone that is greedy of gain, which taketh away the life of the owners thereof. So our friends do influence us. They don't make us do anything we don't want to, but they do provide a good measure of of influence. You know, there are legal implications if you're part of a group. I started to quote a, an attorney. I had uh, looked something up and thought, I'll do that. And I started writing it all out. And I said, no, it's just too much. But just let me say this. It's a law of association, so to speak. If you're with a group of kids that are hanging out, hanging out together, and one of the, the group uses a weapon to assault or to injure or to kill somebody else, all of you are guilty by law. Uh, if you are the, somebody says, hey, will you stand right here and tell me if, if, if you see the police or you see anybody coming, just holler at us. And that's all you're doing. You were standing there anyway, so you thought, oh, these are my friends, I'll holler at them if something happens. And you get caught doing that, you're just as guilty of, 
as if the, you committed the crime that they're in the store doing. Our friends influence us. And so it's important that we choose the right kind of friends. And can I point out to you in Acts chapter number 4 and in verse number 13, they had been with Jesus. It showed up. It showed up on them. We're going to have to go back and get some background out of chapter 3 so we can properly look at chapter number 4. There's a healing of a lame man in verse number 2. A certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried whom they laid daily at the, the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them who entered into the temple. This runs all the way down through verse 11, by the way. So he sees Peter and John about to go into the temple and asked an alms, some kind of charity, some money, something to help him out. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us! And he gave heed unto them, the lame man did, expecting to receive something of them, some money. That's, that's what he's looking for. He expected to receive something from them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. I wonder if people standing around thought, oh yeah, religious fanatics. That man needs help. That man needs money. That man needs your charity. He doesn't need you to pump him full of some kind of religious tripe, some kind of religious nonsense. Give him some money, you skin flints. I'm sure that thought went through people's minds. But Peter said, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and lifted him. And immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping up stood. He didn't have to go to PT. No therapy for him, no rehab. He leaps up and he stands and his legs are not wobbly under him. They receive strength and he, he leaping up stood and walked and entered with him into the temple. Now look at how he entered. Walking and leaping and praising God. I, I guess I could make a caricature if I wanted to, but... My guess is that he was not quiet. Even as he walked, he probably said, look at this. I can walk. He'd never walked in his life. Lame from his mother's womb. He said, hey, folks, look here. I'm walking. And people probably thought, well, what's so big about that? Then he said, watch this. And jumped up in the air and spun around. And then he got a good case of the happies and just broke out praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. And they knew that it was he which said for alms at the beautiful gate of the temple. And they were filled with wonder and amazement at that which had happened unto him. And as the lame man which was healed held Peter and John, I expect he would. Put his arms around their neck and hugged them real good. All the people ran together unto them in the porch that is called Solomon's, greatly wondering. We see a man, a man born lame, and if we wanted to, we could make a parallel with the fact that you and I were born sinners. We came in this world crippled by sin, 
He asked and expected alms, charity from people who came by. No doubt many people that went to the temple would, would uh, throw in some kind of money into his uh, hat or whatever he had sitting there, probably a box of some sort or a pitcher that they could cast money into. And so he expected that. But evidently he had no expectation of being healed. He didn't ask anybody for that. He just asked an alms. Can we stop for just a minute and think about this? You know what some people expect from church? I jotted down a handful of things. Some people expect the church to teach morality. And we should. That's a part of what we're doing. But morality by itself is useless. It'll just make you a hypocrite. But we do teach some morality, but that's not our main goal. Uh, we, some will say, well, the church ought to entertain us with music and with drama. Where'd you find that? Give me a chapter and verse. I don't find that. Matter of fact, when we sing here, uh, someone sings a special, they're not singing it for you. We're honoring the Lord. And we want to magnify Him. And we read in the book of Acts, as they ministered unto the Lord. So that's what it, we're doing when we sing. Any kind of special, choir special, whatever it may be. It may be a blessing to us as a congregation, but we're trying to bless and honor our Lord, you see. Some say, entertain us with music and with drama. And you can find places that do that, and they call themselves church. But they're not. They're just a social club. Uh, some say, well, we need to engage in philosophical debates and teaching and you know, get people to thinking right. We get, their, get the right... Uh, a philosophy of life. If we can just do that for people, we'd be making some real headway. Some people expect the church to submit to psychology. You know, wokeness is invading the church. Rampantly so. Uh, you have a, a large denomination that can't figure out who can be a pastor. Uh, you, you find folks arguing over can... Can women be preachers? Well, it, that's a new thing. That's not something you find in the early days of the church. Matter of fact, it's very plain that women are not allowed to usurp authority over a man and not to teach or usurp authority, the Scripture says, over in the pastoral epistles. And yet, because they're submitting to positive thinking, times have changed, Pastor. We've got to keep up with the changing times. We've got to move along with them as they're moving. This world needs more than ever churches that are anchored with the absolute truths of the Word of God more than any other time in my life. It used to be you could go about anywhere and get the gospel. Now it's getting a lot more difficult. So they want us to submit to psychology. Well, I mentioned that wokeness is slipping in. It's, it's been here for years. You remember that fellow out in the Crystal Cathedral out in California? The power of positive thinking. You, listen, you can't positively think yourself out of anything or into anything. That's ridiculous. The power of positive thinking. Now, if you, you're sick and they say uh, you, you've got a serious disease, we're going to do these medicines, that medicine. Having a good outlook on life will help you some. I understand that. Uh, but that's not what they're looking for out of us. They expect us to bow the knee to psychology. Uh, I think it was... Well, I hesitate to say what school it was, but uh, there was a well-known uh, writer who wrote a lot of psychology books. And 
they, they were talking to the preacher boys class, said, now y'all can help peop, some people, but these folks over here studying psychology can help anybody. The man who had been in that, that school writing books, promoting that kind of stuff, threw it away and started over. He said, I made a mistake. I want to tell you something. Nobody is an expert in the souls of men and women like the New Testament church of Jesus Christ. Then they want us to promote political causes. <laughs> Remember when the moral majority was a big deal? And I do get political sometimes, make no apology for it, but only when it touches on biblical issues. The, the budget bothers me, but that's not a biblical issue. I, I'm not going to preach against one crowd or against another over that thing, but on abortion, trying to make that normal, promotion of LGBTQ, I, I'm going to preach about those things. I'm going I'm to raise my voice uh, about those things. Free speech, because the First Amendment that gives us free speech also gives us freedom of religion. And so when politics touches those areas, I intend to lift up my voice and cry aloud. But I'm not a politician. I'm not running for office, and I'm not trying to help anybody else from this pulpit run for office. Not going to. That's not what churches are supposed to do. The lame man only expected alms, but Peter did something else. Silver and gold have I none. He knew what the man was asking for. But such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And that man evidently believed the words that Peter said, and the Bible doesn't give us all the, all the details other than the fact that the man was able to get up. As soon as his ankle bones receive strength, he's able to stand. Don't you know he got excited? He had never stood up in his life. Just lay down sometime and imagine yourself not being able to get up. You just got to lay there. And if you want to, somebody got to move, somebody's got to come get you and carry you someplace, or you have to crawl on the floor. My grandmother, when she was about 85 years old, somewhere around there, fell. She was ironing, got her legs tangled up in the uh, cord to the iron and fell and broke her hip, hurt her arm, pulled the skin off her arm, and she pulled herself across the floor, got a hold of the phone, and called for help. That's the kind of shape this man was in, unable to help himself at all. Lame, never had stood up, never had the perspective of standing we who are healthy sometimes forget what it feels like to be sick, to be uh, debilitated, to be in a situation where you can't move, where you can't get up, where you don't have any energy, don't have any strength. You're, you, even if you were able to get up, your head's spinning so much you couldn't stand up. And, and we who have decent health, we ought to rejoice in the goodness of God that we have it. The church is an expert on the souls of men and women. We have the message they need. We have the right method, by the way, preaching. God's chosen by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. That's in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter number 1. God's method of delivering His truth is through preaching. And God's truth is this gospel of Jesus Christ. We're not a cultural center. 
We're not a psychological clinic. We're not even a social agency. We took up all that food to help feed the folks down there at the rescue mission. And I'm glad to be able to do that, but that's a sideline. Uh, when Bellevue bought property and was getting ready to break ground out there, it was all over the radio. Some of y'all may remember how they sniped at Bellevue all the time about spending all that money building those buildings. And local radio celebrities or employees said they should have spent that money feeding the hungry, clothing the naked, and doing other types of things. That's a sideline. That's not our main goal. Our main goal is to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. And yes, if somebody's starving, they need to be fed before you try to preach to them. I understand that. But it is a sideline goal for us to try to help out in those areas. Our main focus is to get the gospel in people's lives. And some folk, when they get saved, their life gets so straightened out that their alcohol they've been drinking gets turned into groceries. The cigarettes they've been smoking get turned into something good to eat. And instead of wasting money on those things, they put their money where they, where they need it, which is in their own belly. Amen? Our calling is to deal with the souls of men. The content of Peter's sermon, picking up in chapter 3 and verse 12, <clears throat> he said this, Ye men of Israel... Why do you marvel at this? Why are you looking like this? Why look ye so earnestly on us as though by our own power or holiness we had made this man to walk? So the, the content of the message is, our God is the God of miracles. You ought to expect Him to do miracles. You ought to expect Him to do the unexpected. Uh, perhaps the greatest miracle of all is when someone gets converted. When they go from being a rebel to being a child of God, when they go from being uh, at war with the Lord to being broken and at His feet, weeping and sobbing over their sins and rejoicing in the forgiveness of God. Why do you marvel? The means of this man's healing, it was the Christ, he pointed out, that you deny and reject in verses 13 through 16. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, hath glorified His Son, Jesus, whom he delivered up and denied him in the presence of Pilate when he was determined to let him go. But ye denied the Holy One and the just, and desired a murderer to be granted unto you, and killed the Prince of Life, whom God hath raised from the dead, whereof we are witnesses. You know what Peter is doing? He's preaching doctrine. This is theology. This is a theological message. As he points out how salvation comes. He pointed out that our God's the God of, the, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He points back to them and makes that connection. He said, you traded a murderer for the Son of God. And they did. When they were before Pilate, and he said, Eke homo, behold the man. And they said, we'll not have this man to rule over us. Give us Barabbas and crucify Jesus. And Pilate did that as a political uh, expedient thing for him to do. The Christ you crucified, the Christ you traded a murderer for, is the Christ that's been raised from the dead. He's alive. Look in verse number 
Oh, verse 18. But those things which God before had showed by the mouth of all his prophets, that Christ should suffer, he has so fulfilled. Well, Peter didn't stop there. He preached that theology, but then he made some application. And in verse 19, he said, Repent ye, therefore. Repentance is a doctrine. Repentance is not necessarily an emotion. It may involve emotion. Godly saw worketh repentance, not to be repented of. Saw the world worketh death, the Bible says. But repentance is the idea of, I, I recognize that I personally am guilty. That my sin deserves the wrath of God. That I'm the reason Jesus died on the cross. And I am going to voluntarily surrender myself to Him. I'm going to turn to Him. And in so doing, I'm automatically turning away from the sins of the world. And I turn to Christ. Repent. Hey, John the Baptist preached repentance. Peter preached repentance. And here we are in 2023 and Freeman Weems is preaching repentance. And there's thousands of other preachers doing exactly the same thing that I'm doing and calling sinners to repent of, of their sin and turn to the Lord Jesus Christ and be saved. That's a theological truth. Repent and believe. Convert from your unbelief. Turn away from that unbelief that you had and turn to the Son of God, the Lord Jesus that you have crucified, and that takes us all the way down to verse number 26 of chapter 3. Now that gets us down to chapter 4 and verses 1 through 4, and in those verses we see Peter and John are imprisoned. The bitterness of the elders, you see this here in verse 1, and as they spake unto the people, the priest and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, being grieved that they taught the people and preached through Jesus the resurrection from the dead. you got to remember, the Sanhedrin was made up predominantly of Sadducees. A smaller section was made up of Pharisees. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection. They believed in angels. The Sadducees didn't believe anything. They were liberals, just like we have them today. There are churches, there are whole denominations that believe we ought to take the Bible and teach people how to be better people. Just to be nicer. Just if you'll just love everybody, everybody will love you. How foolish can you be? We see how that's playing out on the, the, the political scenario, don't we? If you'll just be nice to certain people, they'll be nice to you. Doesn't work that way. The bitterness of these elders, they were grieved, the Bible says there in verse number 2. That word grieved means to be worried, to be troubled. They didn't like it at all. Uh, matter of fact, look over in chapter 5 for just a moment. Chapter 5 and verse 28, I believe it is. Saying, so, did not we straightly command you that ye should not teach in this name? And behold, ye have filled Jerusalem with your doctrine... And intend to bring this man's blood upon us. That's why they were bitter. They were guilty. You ever heard the old saying, if the dog that gets hit by the rock, is, you know, that's the one that yelps, the one that howls. If you get a whole bunch of dogs swirling around, you throw a rock in the midst of them, the one that the rock hits is the one that yelps. That's what these guys are doing. They're guilty. The background is that 5,000 people are converted 
at this message. 5,000. Do you think Peter had any idea that 5,000 people would get saved in one day? My guess is no. The lame man had no expectation of being healed. I don't know that Peter and John had any idea that on the way to the temple during the, the time of prayer, and they're going there to pray, that they would have an opportunity to reach out and heal a man. But as they're moving along and this man cries out, would you have alms, alms, alms for a man, alms for one who's lame, one who's, who can't work? And Peter's moved by that. He said, I don't have any silver and I don't have any gold, but i got something better than that. Stand up on your feet. And he did. The Sanhedrin, in verses 6 and 7 of chapter number 4, they do what? They gather together, they set them, Peter and John, in the midst, and they ask, by what power, by what name have you done this? They were exerting their position. We're the ones who decide what's going to happen around here religiously. Nobody has, has the authority to do that. We are in control, and we sure didn't tell you you could do it, so... Who said you could do this? They exerted their position. Why? Because they were filled with pride. They thought they were it. Everybody else was... Remember the, the man that's born blind in John chapter number 9? He kept telling them and telling them, a man named Jesus did this. And they said, give God the glory, for we know this man's a sinner. He said, whether he's a sinner or not, I know, I know one thing. I once was blind, but now I see. And, and he challenged them. When they asked him to tell him the story, he said, look, I've told you several times. Are you trying to, to uh, believe on him yourself? And they, they cast him out, said, we know the law, you're cursed. That's the kind of people we're dealing with here, exerting their position because of pride. They exposed their unbelief. Look at verse number 16 of chapter 4. Saying, what shall we do to these men for that indeed a notable miracle hath been done by them is manifest to all that dwell in Jerusalem and we cannot deny it. They expose their unbelief. Listen, instead, uh, don't you think if somebody got healed they, uh, that the, the people who are most involved with the temple should have rejoiced with him? I mean, listen, if somebody came in here, and, and we, we had it. Bill Nelson was healed right in our choir singing. When we had the men singing one day, couldn't talk. And we were, said, we're going to sing Amazing Grace. He got up there, even though he couldn't make any, any much more than just a, a slight whisper. And God healed him while he was in the choir. What did we do? We got excited. Exactly what we did. I'm, I rejoice with, with those that rejoice and weep with those that do weep, the Bible tells us. And so this man is walking and saying, watch me, I can walk. He's jumping up and down and saying, look here, I'm, I'm healthy, I'm strong. Hallelujah, praise God. And you thought these folks would have joined in with him, but they showed up with their lips curled and thinking this poor idiot man, what does he know? He's not on the same level with us. What does he know? They exposed their unbelief. They knew a miracle had occurred and they were concerned that it might move them out of their position or weaken their power. So they're questioning. Well, in verse 17 through 22, they extinguish the truth. Look at verse 17. But that it spread no further among the people. 
Let us straightly threaten them that they shall speak henceforth to no man in this name. You know, the, the Sanhedrin made some really bad decisions. In uh, John chapter 11, a fellow by the name of Lazarus is dead. Been dead four days, and Jesus shows up and said, Roll the stone away. And Martha said, Lord, by this time he stinketh. And he said, I told you. Remember when I told you I'm the resurrection? He said, Roll the stone away. And he said, Lazarus, come forth. And some who saw him come forth believed, and others went and told the Sanhedrin. How do you do that? How do you see someone coming out of the grave that you know was put in there dead, and they're jumping out and muffled sounds, get this off of me so I can see, and, and they just chose not to believe. These guys here said so that it'll spread no further. What did they do? They planned on killing Lazarus. How, do you think you could scare Lazarus? We'll kill you. He said, I've been dead once. Go ahead. <laughs> Doesn't frighten me. They, they were angry towards him and they plotted and planned to kill Jesus and Lazarus, but... You weren't sure one going to scare Jesus with it, and I don't think you could scare Lazarus with that thing either. And here these people are, and they're going to say, Now look, you obey us. You do what we say. We run this place, not you. Don't tell anybody else. Verse 18, they called them, commanded them not to speak at all or teach in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it be right in the sight of God, to hearken unto you more than unto God, judge ye. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. So when they had further threatened them, they let them go finding nothing how they might punish them because of the people. For all men glorified God for that which was done. For the man was above 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing was showed. All oh, this Sanhedrin exerted their position, exposed their unbelief, and they tried to extinguish the truth, said, We can't deny the miracle. But we can deny where it came from, and that's exactly what they were trying to do. We can stop the spread. We'll threaten them. We'll scare them, and they'll be really frightened, and they won't do anything because they're afraid of us. And Peter looked them like one fellow said, eyeball to eyeball, and said, it's better to obey God than to obey you. Do what you're going to do. And that's basically what they said. Instead of rejoicing, they didn't join in with the healed man. They arrested the apostles. Instead of rejoicing, they acknowledged the miracle but denied the source. Peter's words, look on us. In the name of Jesus, the elders rejected the lame man. They rejected him. He'd never walked before. What's he know? What's this man know? You just, you know, we don't know really. You, you could be faking this. We don't know about you. They rejected him, and here he is walking and leaping, and already said got a case of the happies and don't cares, and he was clapping his hands and kicking his legs and shouting and praising God. I imagine that was the loudest corner of the temple with this, this gentleman. They rejected two ignorant fishermen. That's what they said, said they found out they were unlearned, ignorant and unlearned. Isn't that what the Bible said? 
Now, when they saw the boldness, verse 13, of Peter and John, and perceived they were unlearned and ignorant men, but they were filled with the Holy Ghost. The elders' prejudice showed as they viewed Peter and John as being beneath them. We have that in our uh, political circles. Have elitists who look down at us. They don't think we know anything. Don't think we can come up with decent answers. And so they ignore us many, many times. That's what these folks are doing. We know what's best for you. Just obey us and everything will be well. Didn't turn out that way, did it? Not only did they reject the lame man, not only did they reject the two ignorant fishing or fishermen, but they rejected the Jesus with whom Peter and John had traveled. Who are these nobodies? Ignorant and unlearned men. Why? They, they can't even read Aramaic. They're unable to do this or unable to do that. Who, who do these people think they are? They've never read the fathers. They've never read the, the Talmud, the Mishnah. What do they know? They're just ignorant people. We don't have to pay any attention to them. They're nobodies. And who is this Jesus? They're trying to bring his blood to bear upon us. Who is this Jesus? He's the troubler of our power. He's the troubler of our religion. We reject him. That's the, where they are at this, in this juncture. Well, would you know what Peter and John did to defend themselves? In verse 5 through 12, and just we'll pick a few of these out. Verse 7. By what power or by what name have ye done this? The question they're asked. Who said you could do this? How much of a big head have you got to have for you to put yourself in position to judge a miracle that was performed on somebody else? He couldn't walk from the day he's born. Here he's not, he's not only walking, he's leaping, he's jumping, he's telling everybody to come, he's praising God. Who told you you could do this? What bitter lives they must have led when they didn't want anybody to get better. They're upset because the lame man's able to walk. They're upset because the lame man is jumping up and down. They're upset because the lame man's praising God. I mean, they, these Sanhedrin's supposed to be connected with God. Who said you could do this? We did not authorize it. That's what they're saying. It implies the leaders certainly had not put their imprimatur on, on this. The answer that Peter and John give, we've already kind of read through that, and they got down to verse 12, and Peter said, Neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Not that we might be, but we must be. Jesus said it this way, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and no man cometh unto the Father but by me. That's the only way to go. Do you remember the day you came to Christ? Can you think back that far and maybe fill in a few of the details, what was going on? For me, I had made a profession of faith about two weeks prior to. It was all emotion. And I got up every day and read my Bible. Every morning, read my Bible, got on my knees and prayed every day for a couple of weeks. Lost as I could be. Didn't know it. 
I well remember the morning I got up and opened up the Bible. I was reading in the Gospel of Matthew. I don't remember where I was reading, but I remember reading in the Gospel of Matthew. And I, it suddenly dawned on me. I said, if that's salvation, I don't have it. It hit me like a ton of bricks. Down on my knees, I went on the left hand of my red and gold crushed corduroy couch. Remember those? had that real soft feeling. I got on my knees, and I called out to God. You know, it's not the words you use that are important. It's what you mean, the meaning behind the words. And I got up off my knees, saved by the grace of God. Hallelujah. By the name of Jesus. <laughs> Neither is there any other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. That's true. Would you let me expand the thought just a little bit? Neither is there any other name under heaven given among men whereby we may be saved. Not in the sense of if, but in permission. He's opened the door. Listen, God is sovereign. <laughs> you don't need to put any kind of uh, qualifier with it because He created the universe. He spun uh, all the stars off his fingertips and gave every one of them names and musical notes, created all the planets, put everything in shape, and there's no traffic lights in heaven and yet things don't run together. That's the God that we're talking about. And when you trust him, you can bank on what he said because his sovereignty guarantees it. Our God is not saying, whosoever will, Meaning all the time there's just a certain elect that can. That's just not so. The hinges of the, the door of salvation, whosoever will, swings on the hinges of the sovereignty of God. Only a totally, absolutely sovereign God could say, whosoever will, let him come and take of the water of life freely. And I took, and I got saved. Hadn't been the same since. I've bounced off the rails a time or two. Oh, thank God it sure is good to be saved. The answer they gave, by the name of Jesus. <laughs> That's how we did it. Peter said, I don't have any strength. I don't have any power. But I'm plugged into the God who does. It's by Jesus. You crucified him. God raised him from the dead. You couldn't even kill him. They couldn't. On the cross, the Bible, we're taught doctrinally that Jesus dismissed his spirit. Jesus gave his life. They couldn't take it from him. He said so in John 10. No man taketh it from me. I have power to lay it down. I have power to take it up again. And when he gave up his life and died on that cross, they put his body in that tomb three days and three nights later he came out not so we could see something in particular other than the fact to see that he was gone it wasn't so he could get out he's already gone i forgot the black preacher's name that was preaching he said wasn't nothing but a rock in a rock rock of ages cleft for me let me hide myself in thee and there's salvation in none other so I'm going to join the Baptist church. You can go to hell as a member of a Baptist church. Well, I'm going to join this church. You can go to hell being a member of any denomination you can pick. But if you'll just trust Jesus, 
I'm not talking about some kind of shallow one, two, three, say these words after me, but I'm talking about being moved in the depths of your being that you need to be converted. Salvation's easy once you understand it. It's so easy that we stumble over it. We want to do something, especially men. We're doers. We're fixers. You know, you're in the house and your wife getting ready to drive off somewhere and she comes into the house and she said, Honey, one of the lights is out in the car. You go out and you say, Okay, I'll get that taken care of. And you maybe you got some extra bulbs or you'll say, Just stay here. I'll drive down here and fix. We fix things. Well, the Holy Ghost says, You're a sinner. You're on your way to hell. Ain't nothing you can do to fix it. Not a thing in the world we can do by our efforts. But I know one who'll do it for you. If you'll just run a white flag up the pole and surrender to him, he'll do the work and you'll be saved. The approach they took, look in verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness, Peter and John, they didn't apologize. They didn't say, now we're really sorry that we've stirred up things. But, you know, we, we as Christians, we have to get out here and tell they were bold. They weren't arrogant. They were just bold. Verse 13, not only were they bold, but they were theologically equipped. It says right here they were ignorant, unlearned. That's just according to the, to the uh, Sanhedrin. They knew what they needed to know. Their theology by the elders' standard was unlearned, but they took knowledge, the elders did, that these men had been with Jesus. Something about Jesus had changed these people. Can I give you some things quickly and I'll be done? Some practical thoughts about theology from this text. First of all, the rejection of the gospel. It doesn't make sense. I mean, it doesn't make logical sense. We present unto people the way of life and the way of death. If we had two boxes up here and we say, all right, this is life. And it's, you can see through it. It's got uh, transparent sides and all that. And you can see all kinds of jewels and everything. This is life. And in the other box over here, we have copperheads and cobras and rattlesnakes. And we say, make your choice. Get in line, make your choice. Why people would line up to reach in the box with the, the diamonds and the rubies and, and the baubles of this world. And I don't think very many folks would line up over here to, to play with the snakes. And we give a message that is just about that plain. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, thou shalt be saved in thy house. He that believeth not the Son of God is condemned already it's just that plain but the problem is the depravity of man you were born a sinner and you proved it as soon as you got a chance and me too we use the term total depravity or human depravity use whichever one you want jesus said <clears throat> john chapter 15 and verse 25 on his way to Calvary, on his way to Gethsemane to be arrested, he said, they hated me without a cause. Man's depraved. 
men are willfully ignorant. Luke chapter 23. 2 Peter chapter 3. This they are willingly ignorant of. It talks about creation and judgment. The rejection of the gospel is because men are depraved. Men are sinners. That is a doctrinal theological statement. You say, I didn't know I knew theology. Now you do. What you and I believe is based on the biblical theology. Second thing, the presentation that Peter gives. He took a text and ran to Calvary as fast as he could get there. I used to tease Brother Byron Fox. I said, Brother Byron, he'd be preaching for us. By the way, we've got him coming next year. I said, Brother Byron, what are you preaching on? And he'd say, and I'd say, don't make a difference. I know what you're going to do. You're going to read that text and fast as you can get to Calvary. You're going to run, aren't you? Nothing wrong with that, by the way. I'm for it 100%. Anytime we preach a text and, and cut Jesus out of it, we're not doing much in the way of preaching. He had theological content in his message. He talked about how they'd rejected him. He talked about how he had power to heal. He had power to, to be raised from the dead. He talked about his connection with the Father. All that's theology. It's theology. Don't let anybody tell you that doctrine's boring. This man who hadn't been able to walk for 40 years. Brother Theology had a reality in his soul. And the last time we see him, I think he's still clapping his hands and shouting and praising God. Probably till the day he died, he thanked God for that. The third thing. The courage that doctrinal truth gave Peter and John. In the book of 1 Peter, we are told to be ready to give an answer to any man that asketh us of the hope that lies within us. Somebody might say, you're a Christian? Yes, I am. Well, I noticed you were different. You're always humming and singing and you seem happy. Can you explain it to me? What would you say? Where would you start? We start with what we know. And what we know is a theological structure that's revealed to us in the Word of God. Look in chapter 4, verse 13. Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were unlearned and ignorant men, they marveled and they took knowledge of them that they had been with Jesus. Being with Jesus will give you boldness. Spending time with Him in your private devotions, reading the Word of God and just talking to Him in prayer, it'll change you. Look in chapter 4 and verse number 20. For we cannot but speak the things which we have seen and heard. Give your testimony, not in an emotional way to try to sway someone with your emotion, but explain to them about salvation and say, it's applied to my life, this is what happened. Chapter 4 and verse 29. And now, Lord, behold their threatenings, and grant unto thy servants that with all boldness they may speak thy word, by stretching forth thine hand to heal, and that signs and wonders may be done by the name of thy holy child Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken, where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and they spake the word of God with boldness. Who you hang around is going to influence you. 
Peter and John had been with Jesus. John was a teenager. He's a very young man when he starts following Christ. Probably somewhere around 16 years old. He walked with Jesus for three and a half years. John was the only one to stand at the cross when Jesus was dying. John was the one to whom Jesus gave his mother, Mary. And he took Mary to his house. That's what the Bible says. I didn't make that up. That's in the Bible. That's history. But them having been with Jesus made an impact. It changed them into dynamos. You know what the Bible tells us about them? They turned the world upside down. Started with 12. One of them turned out to be a, a traitor. They had to get a replacement, and I believe that was the Apostle Paul. And there was 500 that saw him when he ascended up to heaven, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Kind of a small little crop of people. And look at us now. The gospel's about anywhere you can go. As Brother Taylor said when we sang that song a while ago, everywhere that man can go, my God, thou art present. Excuse me, thou art present there. Who are you hanging around with? Hanging around with Jesus? I don't know, that's maybe too casual of a term, but can I say, have you been in his presence? When you've read your Bible, have you left that, that time refreshed in your soul? You've spent time praying, maybe a few minutes, perhaps it began to wax long and your heart began to get warm. According to Luke chapter 23, those Emmaus Road, excuse me, chapter 24, those Emmaus Road disciples said, Did not our heart burn within us while he opened the scriptures? My son of sinners entice thee, consent thou not. But you can stay with Jesus. You'll be different, but he'll change your life. And use you to change the lives of others. Heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one's looking about. This is just pure theology played out in a historical book. Peter preached doctrine. And it's the doctrine that you and I believe tonight. Neither is there any other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. How many of us tonight would say, Pastor, I've got somebody in my family, somebody that's close to me that I love and I'm afraid they don't know God. Would you join with me in prayer? Hold your hands up good and high for a minute or two. Nearly everybody here, raise their hand. Thank you, you can put them down. Nearly everybody here, raise their hand. Oh, how we need to get hold of the horns of the altar. Call out to our God. Ask Him to do what we have not been able to do. And ask Him to give us boldness. That even though we may not be able to answer every question, they'll take note that we've come to them from the presence of Christ. 
to tell the old, old story of Jesus and his love. May we stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed. My Father, would you move your people tonight to a great season of prayer? Perchance we have someone here tonight who's not been saved. They've wondered about it. They've questioned themselves. And tonight they recognize they need to get born again of the grace of God. We pray that they would step out and walk up the aisle. We can take a Bible and show them how to be saved. And Lord, for those of us who are praying for lost family members, Thou art the God who hears, and Thou art the God who answers prayer. Let us not gauge, Father, what happens in the lives of those we're praying for by our standard. It may be there be some troubling in their life as you move. It may be that you'll give great calmness. Lord, we're not trying to dictate to you how you have to do it. You know better than we. We're simply asking that you send thy precious spirit even this very moment. Draw our loved ones to faith in Christ. For it's in his name I pray and for his sake. Amen.